nobody had ever listened. No one's ever understood everything about me. And the reason that we get people better is because we're not treating them in silo, by diagnosis, by specialty. We're treating them as a human who happens to have these multiple things going on. And because we take a global perspective, we tend to have better results more often. And I think yep. we can do the same thing with the Enneagram. All right, everyone. The Dr. Alex Show is brought to you by Shed Light Cold Lasers. And Shed Light Cold Lasers has been a game changer for us at HML professionally and personally at home. Personally, on a, on a personal note, I had a very bad bout of vertigo and I got probably 85% there by going to a few different functional neurologists over the years to help me out with it. Then I bought this and this is a game changer because one, it's portable. That means I can take it to the office, use it on patients all day, make sure it stays charged, come on home and then throw it in my pocket and use that home. And this is what cleared up my vertigo. Now, professionally, the way it's, game, it's uh, been the game changer for us in the office is that it has cut our results down by 50%. This can get used on just about anything. Any disease disorder that you can think of, it can pretty much get used on. Now, as far as how it has helped us out, it's cut everything down by 50% on our times. So when we're working with our kids with special needs, uh, when we're working with our chronic neurological disorders, autoimmune diseases, to get those people into a good point that they're happy and that we're happy, times have been cut by 50%. You will definitely want to go check out shedlightgoldlasers.com or email Griswold at shedlightinformation at gmail.com, 518-338-6658. Well, all right, everyone. Uh, we were just spending a couple minutes talking here with uh, Dr. Jerome, <laughs> Dr. Jerome Libby. So we're going to officially get started. There and Dr. Libby here is a fellow functional neurologist. And uh, he said in the back of the room there, he's got another doc, Dr. Schuyler. Uh, so if he peeks in or something, if you see someone in the back, there he goes. Uh, so talking to more colleagues today. And I got my whole, I got my hands on Dr. Jerome's new book, The Brain-Based Enneagram. And the Enneagram is fascinating, fascinating to begin with, but it's super fascinating when it's broken down with neurology. And in my experience, when patients come in, if we explain things from a neurological perspective, what's going on with your child with autism or what's going on with your stroke or your post-concussion or uh, whatever might be going on, when it's explained as well as possible from a neurological perspective, it just light bulbs go off for everyone. So... Anyway, thank you, Dr. Jerome, for coming on, and I'm going to let you kind of take the table and see uh, where you want to start with this. What brought you to write this book? Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity to be here. Uh, you know, the, st the story started when my parents first met, you know, <laughs> and oh. I'm joking. <laughs> like, how far back do we go, right? You ever get into a case history with a patient, you ask a question, and they start 34 years in their past? Sometimes oh, that actually can be really, really helpful. Sometimes yeah. it's not uh, for the sake of time and brevity uh, and, and, you know, for a, a poor sense of humor at times, um, yeah. I'll, I'll answer it this way. Um, everything that's everything that has been my experience from writing the book to coming up with my particular approach in, in functional neurology to getting into functional neurology, you know, it's all been a quest of trying to get some more clarity on what my experience has been as a human and a patient. 
Uh, you know, I joke with folks that I'm a, a spiritually, I'm a recovering charismatic. I grew up in very Pente Pentecostal worlds. <laughs> uh, I am a patient who was stuck in the medical purgatory between the traditional model and the alternative healthcare providers. Uh, so I went to 21 specialists over nine years, spent over $100,000 to get a diagnosis. And once I had that, no one knew what to do with it. Uh, so I met with a lot of traditional providers who were really good at triage and damage control, but not great at wellness or wholeness. Met with a lot of great alternative providers that were great at wellness and great at rehab, but not familiar with how to handle a complex case. And then it ended up for me as a, as a patient being like, well, what happens if you want to do wellness, wholeness, and functional rehab with a complex case? You kind of get stuck in the purgatory, and I got referred between those worlds really consistently. So I ended up navigating into this world of becoming, you know, chiropractic neurologist, moving into chiropractic, but wanting to do deep dives. And as I started learning about functional neurology and the way the brain works and got introduced to the Enneagram, I had no history of chiropractic. I had no history of functional neurology. I had no history of the Enneagram. So I didn't have these, you know, indoctrinations. I didn't, I didn't have all of this, you know, previous tradition that, that biased my way of understanding the brain or understanding the Enneagram or understanding how we do functional neurology. So I was always looking at it through the lens of how in the world is this going to apply when I wake up tomorrow morning with a migraine, right? Yeah. Um, because I have uh, I average about 80 to 100 full-blown migraines per calendar year. Uh, and about 250 headaches outside of those migraines. Um, so if you do the math, that's about 10 to 15 days on a good year without a headache or a migraine. So everything Holy for me cow. has come into this lens of going, I don't really care what anybody is saying to me unless I can practically apply it in my life as a patient. And if it doesn't satisfy the answer of what I need to move towards a more healthy whole version of myself, then I want to I course correct and iterate until I do. So I say that from the lens of a person who became a doctor because I couldn't find a good one. When I was learning Enneagram, and I was like, well, it feels like this should have some brain-based approaches. It should feel like something so comprehensive. We should be able to explain it through brain function. And lo yeah. and behold, I've got screenshots of it from 12 years ago <laughs> when I'm in the middle of doing a neurochemistry model with Dr. Carrot, Karazian, and Brock, some of the names your listeners may have heard. Yeah. And I'm in the middle of doing this and I go, I'm going to Google it because there's research for everything, especially when you're learning from these titans in the, in the neurology world. And I've got screenshots where literally Google provides four results and all of those four results have nothing to do with what I searched. And all I put in was brain-based Enneagram, right? And Google never, I mean, you can, you can Google the most abstract thing on the planet. It's going to give you at least a couple thousand results. Uh, it gave mm -hmm. me four. Um, and I realized maybe this is something that either I'm, I'm, I'm in the matrix and this is not going to work, or maybe I'm thinking about something that there's an opportunity to build. So long story short, Dr. Alex, what, what ended up happening was I fell in love with neurology. I came from a patient perspective. I love the approach of the Enneagram being much more, not only, uh, holistic and motivation based rather than behaviorally based, uh, like why I do what I do rather than how I do what I do. Uh, and learning the neurology and, and coming from the backgrounds that I came from, I was like, I think there may be a way that we could explain this through whole brain function, but we have to see ourselves as every aspect of what the Enneagram offers rather than a single part of it. And it's kind of like what we do in functional neurology. We move, we move people away from a single diagnosis into saying you're a human being who happens to experience things frequently enough that it's been given a name, but let's see if we can unwind that, rewire that, and give you a different outcome. Yep. So that's what we're doing with the brain-based Enneagram, just a different tool, same language, different dialect. Yeah. Uh, so going into it, when when you 
I guess, what was your initial journey of the, of the Enneagram? Was it introduced to you or was it something yeah. that you found? No, it was in, introduced to me. I think a lot of people, if you've never heard of the Enneagram, you haven't been proselytized. Um, <laughs> because most people who know the Enneagram, they, uh, they, they like to knock on the door and, and knock down the door and let you know that it is something that you need to engage in. Because uh, yeah. a lot of people have been very moved by it. It's been very powerful. And I joke around about that because one of my best friends, Sean Champ Smith, uh, who I've known for a long, long time, uh, called me and we're like family. The only people that I've known longer than Sean are my two brothers. Um, so we know each other very, very well. Uh, and for a kid who's had 26 addresses, went to 11 different schools before I graduated high school and I've lived in five countries, knowing somebody that long is, is there's a short list of people, right? Holy so when he God. called and he was like, I think this really, really matters. I think it's for you. Um, I put it off because I was in the middle of the doctorate doing a lot of work and traveling round trip you know, one hour each way in, in the part of Atlanta that I was in. And I was like, I honestly don't have time. And what ended up happening was he, uh, he was a bit relentless, but really intentionally said, Hey man, can I send you an audio recording? It's 10 hours long. Give me one week. <laughs> Give me one week. You, you, you'll listen to the whole thing on your one commute from Norcross, Georgia to Marietta, Georgia. Yeah. And I said, I'll give you one week. And he introduced me to the Enneagram through a recording of Richard Rohr. So I heard about and learned about Richard Rohr the exact same time I learned about the Enneagram because it was Richard Rohr teaching the Enneagram. Yeah. And I called him the week after I listened to it and I said, I love you and I hate you <laughs> because as soon as I've listened to this, I can't unhear it. I can't unsee it. Uh, and it felt so relevant and so applicable, but it also felt a little bit reductive, kind of like what happens for us as, as people and patients that we, we kind of get distilled into this single diagnosis rather than a human experiencing symptoms. Yep. Um, so I fell in love with it, but immediately started asking questions that I couldn't find answers for. Like what happens if you, if you feel like you, uh, you know, really ascribe to more than one type because the Enneagram is a nine number system and each of those numbers kind of tell you a way that you navigate the world through your particular approach. And I was mm -hmm. like, but what happens, you know, I, I spoke three languages when I moved to the States. My dad spoke 13. And I was like, I keep feeling like this world is something where it's telling me I only get to choose one language. I only get to live in one town. And I was like, based on my lived experience, that's not at all true. And based on the way that the brain works, if we look at things like default mode networks and all of these things for salient networks and connectomes and how interconnected the experience of a human being is, it feels really powerful, but it feels a bit oversimplified. Um, so I learned about, you know, Richard Rohr and all the things that he teaches in the Enneagram at the same time. And then the last 12 years has just been a study of going, can I keep overlaying the functional neurology with this. Because the very first time that I heard it, I was in the middle of the neurochemistry course. And it sounded to me when they were talking about these three intelligence centers of thinking, feeling, and doing, or head, heart, and gut. It's like, man, that sounds a lot like the basics of the central nervous system, right? right? It sounds a lot like left brain, right brain, left hemisphere, right hemisphere, brainstem, subconscious functions. And we're learning a lot now in functional neurology that there's not a hemispheristic approach. You're not a left brain person or a right brain person. You have a whole brain that has differing degrees of activity. And what ended up happening was I said, I think I can overlay the Enneagram as a model, as an actual symbol directly onto the brain. And I think you can actually lay, overlay almost every perennial faith tradition, but it's easiest to see with the Trinity if you look at it. But yeah. I think you can overlay God, the brain, yeah. and the Enneagram into the exact same thing. Yeah, so yeah. I took the Enneagram, but in order to do it, I had to flip it upside down because the gut center where the eight, nine, and one is, oh, uh, yeah. it would have the way the Enneagram normally is, the head and the heart are underneath the gut. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I joked with a lot of my Enneagram mentors. I've done a lot of study because I'm I'm the type of person who, when I get into something, starts to take as many classes as I can. Going uh, and I, t- I talked to a lot of my mentors, and I was like, you know, I, I might not be the smartest person in the world, um, and I don't know a lot about this Enneagram thing, and I'm learning about the brain, but I don't know any human beings whose head and heart is under their gut. <laughs> I'm just saying I know that this is a sacred symbol. And people really attribute it, but I don't know anyone whose gut is above their head or their heart. So I'm just saying, even without the neurology, could it be that it might be upside down? Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, uh, <laughs> that ended up with a lot of raised eyebrows because that's just the way it is. And I said, maybe it's not. Uh, and the last 10 years has been trying to answer those questions. And the book is is a way to start unpacking that. Yeah, uh, it is brilliant, the the cover. And then when you get into the book you see exactly what you did there. It, it lines up perfectly. And yeah, it's it's just, yeah, I, you can probably theorize as to all sorts of reasons as to why it's like that. But yeah, um, I guess I almost glazed over this for the people that don't know what the Enneagram is. Yeah. I can do a quick little boilerplate. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you've got a lot of personality profiles, what are called inventories. Like most people know Myers-Briggs or DISC, yep. Berkman, Hogan, all these other things, right? You become a gerbil or, or a swallow or you become a, you know, an extrovert that lives on a mountain. There's a lot of different ways to name a yep. human being. Yep, type right? A or... Yeah, type A, type B, you know, whatever it is that you want to be. Um, yep. No pun intended. Uh, <laughs> so what the Enneagram is, is it's, a, it's, an, it's Ennea for nine and Gram for drawing. And it's a not, it's a circle with nine points on that circle, and it's because there's a there's an intersection of a triangle which connects to type six, nine, and three, and then another connecting line that has seven points. So you end up with nine total points in the enneagram. So that's why it's called an enneagram or ennea for nine. But basically it's saying, hey, we know that there's a lot of things like the Myers-Briggs that will, will tell you maybe this is a good job for you to be in. Maybe this is a good role for you to fit in. It'll help you understand how you show up as an introvert or an extrovert, kind of those pieces. But the reason a lot of people gravitate towards the Enneagram is because it's so motivation-based. It says, hey, there are different reasons that you do certain things. There's a why behind it. And are you pursuing the need to be needed? and to be supportive? Are you pursuing the need to be seen as an individual? Are you pursuing the need to succeed and achieve and accomplish? Or is it that your life is built around minimizing conflict and finding really intentional places to rest, feel safe, feel connected, feel grounded? Uh, so it really helps us understand as human beings what we're pursuing and what we're avoiding and why. Uh, and it gives really, really good language of understanding, hey, when this tells me, hey, you really connect to the idea of what a type two is, what it's saying is you're really, really motivated to help, to support, to love people well, to steward things well. Uh, and, you know, the the Enneagram as a whole, even when people have been looking at it for a long time as a single number, like you are a type. It's been profoundly supportive and helpful because it lets you know what town you generally live in, where you wake up, where you go to sleep, kind of where you're headquartered. My mm-hmm. goal with the whole identity method was to move from a personality type system to an identity profile system and say, you've got all of these types in you. They may just be communicating at different volumes. So another way that I, can, I tell everybody is um, we've all got pilots, co-pilots, flight attendants, and passengers, and all of them have baggage, right? 
Everybody's got baggage. We're all on the same flight, on the same plane, trying to go into some particular destination. But when most people are talking about their personality, regardless of the tests that you use, most of us are actually talking about our pilot. We're not taking into consideration all the other things because as even functional neurology shows us, we've got a frontal lobe. We've got the capacity to make executive decisions. But man, 95 to 97% of what's happening to us on a daily basis is subconscious. It's yeah. all the mid-level managers, the employees, all of the resources, and everything else that's happening in our system. And if we really want to be whole and holistic and healthy, it's one thing to do some really effective understanding of the executive team and the CEO, but to run an effective organization, family, or experience as a human being, it's probably a good idea to have an inventory of everybody that's involved in the conversation and everybody that's on the flight. Uh, so the Enneagram in my model is designed to help you understand uh, where everybody fits because sometimes the flight attendants need some support, sometimes the pilot needs some support, and sometimes you've got a passenger that when they ring the call button and nobody pays attention, things go a bit sideways. Uh, so mm -hmm. knowing where, where that person fits. So it's just all of those uh, all of those systems in us, they just happen to be called types or numbers. And then there's a bunch of language and resources that can help us to understand that better. Right. So kind of what you're saying, if and just please correct me if I'm wrong, Yeah. which I think is kind of one of my beefs, if you will, with a lot of these personality tests, like, like you said, it, it helps you identify what I'll just say your strengths. Mm -hmm. Um, for instance, uh, my good friend and patient and who was just on my show not too long ago is Michelle. Shout out to Michelle. She loves the Enneagram. Thanks, In fact, her heart's broken right now that she's not here just watching this because she would love this okay. uh because you are by the way a hero in her field because she's a licensed therapist and people uh in, in the therapy world know who you are um yeah uh whenever i bring up the enneagram your book comes up and then it, with therapists and then off off on the runnings we go but anyway awesome. the uh it is awesome the but the whole point is is like it, it, whether they're trained professionals or not or just people off the street that are like listening to this this show and just getting to know all this stuff they're like oh well, i'm a one great mm -hmm. what are you doing about everything else yeah and that's and that's the goal of your book it, mm -hmm. uh, correct me if i'm wrong is to figure out the rest of it yeah and, and address those weaknesses yeah, and it's you know it's it was why it was really intentional. If you see the subline on the book, the 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 title is the brain based enneagram, but the subline is you are not a number. number. And the reason we lowercase everything but the a is we're trying to emphasize that that is the most common thing that people do. Uh, you know, as human beings, we're very very used to whether we mean to or not. We're very egotistical. We're very ego driven. The world is seen through our own lens, and that's normal. Because 100% of what we're doing by default is trying to survive and find safety. So it makes sense for us to take ourselves into consideration. Case in point, when people are on a Zoom call or on a video call, I'm having to be very intentional about it right now. Out of the entire call, 85% of that time is spent looking at yourself. Right, because your brain is like, I can't help but not look right there at this guy. I, he, I, he, right in my brain the whole time, it's looking at me. Okay, so what ends up happening is we're just normally gravitating to what makes sense and what is relevant to me. So when somebody identifies something that's very true about us, what we often end up doing is making our entire selves that single thing. And we see this clinically all the time because how hard is it to get a patient to de-identify with a diagnosis? 
Yes. They're no longer a human being. They are migraines. They are depression. And you hear that I am statement all the time. Mm-hmm. And anytime we make a statement that I am, whatever comes after I am, you better be very, very conscientious of what that is because you're making a statement of being. Like listen to the difference of saying I am a person named Jerome or I am depressed. Mm-hmm. I am a four. I am a two, right? That's a statement of being that my identity is con- is consolidated into that single statement. So mm-hmm. I am statements are statements of being and statements of being. I mean, you're talking about the fabric of who you are as a person. So as somebody who's wrestled with anxiety, depression, panic attacks, has had two suicide attempts in my history that fortunately were not successful. I, it's something I have to be very aware of when I make an I am statement, right? So I'll show you the difference. I am depressed. I have depression. I experience depression frequently. Mm -hmm. The I am statement is a statement of being. The likelihood of that changing is very unlikely. I have is a statement of ownership, right? That's something that I own that's mine. Mm -hmm. I experience is a time-sensitive component. I experience migraines frequently. I am not having migraines every day. I don't have migraines. I didn't buy them. I never purchased them. I don't want them, right? (laughs) I got run over by a car when I was eight and ended up having four head injuries after that, okay? Um, So I don't want migraines. I don't want to be a migraine patient. I do give myself the opportunity as I'm processing things in a healthier perspective to give myself a chance to breathe and slow down and stabilize to say I'm experiencing a migraine today. But that gives my brain the opportunity to go, I might not be tomorrow, right? Yep. So when we say I am a two and we don't give ourselves an opportunity to go, you know what? I'm a human being who's most efficient and most fluent and most skilled at maneuvering in the spaces that are called to in the Enneagram world. But that's at most probably 18% of my identity. You know, I've been doing a whole identity profile method for a decade. And the highest I've ever seen anybody single type ever is a 31 and 31 statistically in the whole person, the whole person is 20% of who they are. So no matter how you do it, 80% of who you are as a human being lives in the other numbers, if not more. Right. Yeah. So we want to be careful of saying when we make, I am statements. So the book is really hopefully to help people know, I would love, love for you to have the most incredible experience in the town that you live in and you develop the deepest roots and the deepest relationships. I also want you to realize that there's a whole world outside of where you live and you have permission to travel there. And if you know these other places exist, the likelihood of you, of you being healthier by taking your entire experience into consideration goes up. It's not a requirement, but like, for instance, with functional neurology, when we meet with people, how many people have sat down with, uh, with us and gone, nobody's ever looked at the whole picture. Nobody ever listened. No one's ever understood everything about me. And the reason mm-hmm. that we get people better is because we're not treating them in silo by diagnosis, by specialty. We're treating them as a human who happens to have these multiple things going on. And because we take a global perspective, we tend to have better results more often. And I think yep. we can do the same thing with the Enneagram. Yeah. Uh, it, it, so speaking of working uh, through the book, the what, what I want to kind of tell people is you you read the book. It's a very easy read. And it's going to go over some of the basics of the brain-based portions of it. Like what does the left brain do? What does the right brain do? What's the brainstem do? And then most importantly, how those three major areas of the central nervous system 
talk and intermingled together. And then what does that mean, you know, with the Enneagram and it's broken down so simply, which I'm going to have you go over in a second. But okay. then the cool thing is, as you had just mentioned, the highest uh, percentage of what you've seen on for someone it was 30, was it 30 or 31%? Yeah. So they scored a 31 for their type, but out of all nine types, that still only accounts for 20% of who they are as a person. Yeah. So what what the book does is after you go to, I believe it's EnneagramInstitute.com and yep. you take the ready test, R-H-E-T-I test, 144 questions, um, mm -hmm. you're answering as honest as you can, uh, you will get all of your data and then your book goes through on how to get that broken down math wise. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of humbling because then you look at it and you're like, but for me, I, I saw a couple things where I was like, yep, that's, uh, that's true. That, yeah. that is something I am going to work on. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it's hopefully one of the things that I really try to lean into. And, you know, this is my history in both, uh, you know, faith-based spaces, clinical spaces, Enneagram spaces. It's, it's amazing to me how many resources exist that are supposed to help you, but they kind of have a foundation in shame or brokenness. Uh, there's something wrong with you. Uh, mm -hmm. So my work is specifically a shame-free resource. It's the, the first page in the book says that we're innately capable of wholeness. This is not about being less broken. It's about mm -hmm. becoming more whole. Because yep. uh, as a patient, I can promise you the amount of doctor's offices that I stepped into, I didn't need anybody to remind me that I was messed up. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm good. I got that covered. I understand how much has gone wrong. Um, but for somebody to give me some hope and some encouragement and to go, hey, these are really, really good survival strategies. The way that you're wired has kept you alive up to this point. But man, it might have been built on some protocols that you ran when you were eight or 10 that you don't need anymore because you're 40. Right? So it really helps you for the reason therapists have gravitated to it really really heavily, which is always so humbling, um, is because there's a lot of what's called IFS, internal family systems that's tied into it, AEDP, which is advanced experiential dynamic psychotherapy. My practice leans very, very heavily into neuropsych and understanding what happens to our body based on our psychological experiences. So the book really helps you to understand there's a really, really good reason you show up this way. It just means you're fluent in that. Right. Yeah. Like if you grew up in a household and you were really exposed to consistent conflict and tension or intensity, or you grew up in a household that really valued competition and competitiveness, you might have learned to be a little bit more intense than the average person. You're fluent in that. So we call that the challenger or somebody who's fluent in disruption. Uh, you know, that just means yeah. that you became fluent in that language. Um, so yeah. the whole process is just to help you understand why you speak certain dialects or languages the way you do, but ultimately reminding you that that's just your body trying to be supportive and trying to be helpful and keeping you alive. And it's done a pretty good job of it so far if you're still here listening to this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, something to not glaze over, which I think is uh, rooted in the success of uh, functional neurologists and practitioners like, like, like us in general, when you practice more of a holistic uh, type of practice, wh whatever it is in the, in the therapy world, funk neuro world, functional medicine, chiropractic, energy healing, waving your crystals, doesn't matter. Yeah. If, if you acknowledge the person as a person and we all know what's wrong, the goal is to figure out why, why is it like this? And then what to do about it? Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's why that's that's the foundation i think as to why we have such great success because 
uh, people come in and they come into your office and they come into all of our offices all the time, every day, even today, even, even I had the blessing today to take care of one of our very, one of our very own, a chiropractor's wife, a very good friend of mine, so humbled that he brought her in and they all they already knew what was wrong. So I wasn't going to focus on that. I was going to say, yeah, this, this is why real quick, here's the explanation. And then this is how we're going to fix it. Um, and this is how we're going to make you whole again, because if I just sat there and said, oh yeah, you're, you're not, you're not digesting very great and yeah, you're inflamed, but mm -hmm. uh, like how frustrating would that be? It goes yeah. back to you being in and out of doctor's offices all your life. You're like, great. You're, he already told me what was go going on and, uh, yeah. nothing happened. Yeah. yeah so I, I, I just can't like, I just wanted to kind of emphasize that. I, I think that's the difference when when people walk into offices. Um, so that's, yeah. that's huge. And I think it's also, you know, it's, that's the, the benefit of the, the confirmation bias we have as functional neurologists. And I hope the confirmation bias that I'm offering in the whole identity process is it's not that crazy to communicate to people that there's a possibility they might get better when you've been raised in the church of neuroplasticity, right? <laughs> when yeah. you've been raised in this idea that the brain constantly changes and seeing people get out of wheelchairs is not the craziest thing in the world and you didn't have to go to the faith-based healing and get hit by somebody's blazer right it's yep. cool like you can actually see we had a 74 year old patient in the office today that when he came in and started with me he did not have any awareness of where his legs were and within 18 months he's walking on two single point canes the God. fact that we can see that stuff happen lets us know that it's not crazy pills to think that you can get people better. It's still my favorite line. One of my favorite lines that I heard Dr. Garrick say when he was in a room with somebody, it was actually funny. He was being interviewed by Connie Chung and I was the only student or the only doctor that was in the room by him. So I can say I was, I was watching Connie Chung from ABC interview Dr. Garrick and it was a very surreal experience. Wow. But he said uh, a line that she goes, what's it like to constantly be seeing miracles? And he goes, well, I don't, I don't consider them miracles. I consider them clinical expectations. Yes. None of us are surprised when what we expected to happen happened. That's our job, right? Yeah. And I was like, this is awesome. Because yeah. we're, we see it happen, and then it's always life-giving, right? We're celebrating. We're, we're thrilled when people get better. But for the love of God, I would like to go to a doctor who's expecting to do their job properly, right? So when they do it, it's like, yeah, that's, that's why I'm here. You hired me for that. I work for you. Yeah, great. Yep. Thanks for reminding me because I've never been to a provider that I actually knew worked for me. I thought it was just an inconvenience. I'm like, no, yeah. I tell every patient that comes into the office, I work for you. My job is to be your consultant and to be your content expert and to move in a way that goes, yeah, we see what's happening. And my job is to not engage with you if I don't think I can get you there. There's going to be somebody else that's better equipped because that's the worst thing I can do is try and move you forward in a way that's not going to be effective. And I should know that before I start with you. So the fact that we see so much profound stuff happen, you know, it's it's such an incredible thing to have a resource like functional neurology and things like the Enneagram to go, man, this is just another way to practically move you towards self care we're just doing it through neuroscience and practical application and it's no guesswork right yeah that's cool that, that makes it a lot easier to go i'm not surprised you got out of your wheelchair took yeah. a little bit of time but am i surprised no that's what we were working for right that was that was the goal that's kind of the goal right i'm yeah. super excited but i'm also not surprised yeah it, yeah it uh it, i remember that interview was that the abc interview i think and yeah. it was like the one interview Dr. Carrick did. And for all those listening, Dr. Carrick's the godfather of functional neurology. Um, 
I, I, uh, sorry. He's Yoda. Oh yeah, he is. He is Yoda. Um, he is where it all started. Um, he, he's, he's definitely ahead of his time. And, And I remember that when he, she's, I think, didn't she say something about like, well, what if this is all placebo? Um, and then he goes, well, we're doing a good job, at, you know, instilling it or something like that. Yeah. And he was like, so, and I was like, if, if look, man, with the amount of migraines that I've had, if somebody told me I can get rid of your migraines, but I got to hang you upside down over the busiest highway in Atlanta and beat you naked for an hour during rush hour, I'd be like, what time do you need me there? I'll get there five, four, five, 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 twi- two days in a row. It doesn't matter. This is the thing. People want to look at this and go, it's a placebo. It's a solution, right? And when you're yeah. struggling and you're like, I'm just trying to get out of bed in the morning, right? It's like. Placebos don't matter. Results matter, right? right? But part right. of it is people don't understand the neuropsychology behind a placebo and a nocebo. So they're they're talking about something they don't understand. Yeah. Which, speaking of, by the way, uh, not to get off track. Yeah. The so placebo, I got a little excited there, just a little emotional. So I appreciate your patience. No, this is this is great. Are you kidding me? Uh, for though, for those of you who maybe don't know placebo or nocebo, it's it's a sign of brain function. Mm-hmm. So if if someone comes in, let's say they come into the office and we have a uh, consultation. Like today, I had a consultation with a gentleman about digestive issues he's been battling for six years. And he goes, he goes, wow, I've, I feel great about this. I have a lot of hope. Uh, let's move forward. Great. And then when he walked out, he goes, huh, I don't have any heartburn. That was his frontal lobes firing in a very good nature telling his GI tract to work properly, probably for one of the first times in a long time. Yeah. And, 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 and that was, that was just because I said, well, there's a few things that we can still address. And mm-hmm. I think it's worth your time to give it, give us a whirl. Yeah. And, and when he, and, and when I explained it, yeah. And he's like, he's like, I haven't had, I, he's like, I've had heartburn every day for a week or something like that. And I, and he goes, I don't have it right now. And I was like, that's a really good sign because I'm going to use your brain to help fix it, by the way. So this is great. Totally. It's 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 one of the concepts that I've worked with, and I have a different business in the side of the world that's called neurotheology, which is the intersection between neuroscience and spirituality. It's a field that was started by Andrew Newberg, who has some great books on functional MRIs for people during spiritual experiences. Really, really cool stuff. Functional neurologists would geek out on it. Yep. Um, like I said, but, that's next in my podcast list. Yeah. Next, if you get Andrew Newberg, I am. I need to be there. He's on my bucket list. Okay. Oh but, no, he's your podcast is next. Oh, on yeah, my yeah, list no, I'll, I'll work on getting him on my podcast. That'll be great. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll totally geek out. Um, yeah. I don't. I don't fanboy or uh, over anybody. Uh, but I would. I would properly geek out if Andrew Newberg showed up on my on my podcast. Oh, um, but one of the phrases that I use for patients pretty regularly, which explains both placebo and nocebo, which for anybody who's listening, a placebo means you believe you got something helpful, but you actually didn't get anything that's been proven to make a difference. But because you think you did, it made all the difference. That's placebo. No real, inter- no real valid intervention, massive outcomes, positive outcomes. Nocebo is you legitimately got something that's been proven to make a difference for your particular issue. And because you don't believe you got anything effective or helpful, your disbelief in your outcomes actually cancel out the effects of a legitimized intervention. 
So you can be given something, but because you don't believe that it's going to make a difference, your system can actually cancel the effect of something that's been proven to make a difference. That's yep. normal. This is actually a normal thing in the body. The way I explain it, that makes a lot more sense because people are like that was fast. A lot of confusing words is think of what your body does if you're being chased in the woods by a bear. Okay. If you're going to be chased by, by a bear in the woods, are you going to stop and use the bathroom? Nope. No. Are you going to stop and have a meal? No. Are you going to stop and mate that other person that you've been interested in or you're married to and be like, this is a good time to go out? No, it's not going to happen, right? There are only two mammals on the planet that mate for pleasure, us and dolphins. That's it, okay? Are you going to stop and have a good night's sleep or take a nap or start to rest and do a breathing exercise, right? Everything in our system when we deal with startle responses is designed to shut down so many other systems. So if I don't stop to use a bathroom, my digestive system starts to to malfunction. If I don't stop to eat food, my appetite starts to change, including the part of my brain that deals with an appetite for life, never mind an appetite for food. So motivation changes, fatigue changes. Now my sensitivity to pain goes through the roof because I'm like, I got to know as quick as possible. I don't have time to look behind me. If I feel that scrape or I feel that scratch, that lets me know that the bear is super closed. So mm -hmm. all these systems are designed to keep us alive. So digestive, the easiest way I explain it to people is everything from the mouth to the back end becomes irrelevant, right? You don't need yeah. it. So digestive systems, uh, you pull blood out of your skin, you get cold hands and feet, you increase your anxiety, you get nervous about the bear chasing you, you get depressed that you've been running from the bear for so long and you just want to lay down and let it all go. Like all of this stuff makes sense. All of it makes sense. Yep. But what? So if we're sitting in a room with your patient, like with they, their digestive components and they're dealing with a startle response and the part of their brain that deals with fear or with stress or with workload or with efforts, whatever word you want to use, they're losing their margin and they're getting fatigued. The system is designed to start saying, hey, we're going to shut down non-life giving or life-sustaining systems for as long as we need to. So all of a sudden your digestive system starts to change. You don't produce enough acid in your system to break down your food and you get reflux. So your parasympathetics aren't working. Your rest and digest system isn't working. So you get a ton of digestive complaints, irritable bowel, Crohn's, acid reflux, indigestion, IBS, fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. But then all of a sudden you wake up to the fact that I actually don't have anything that's life-threatening in my environment in real time right now in this moment. I'm on an exam table in front of Dr. Alex being told, I think we can make this work. And your brain realizes for a moment, oh, that there are no bears, right? There, there's nothing that's going to eat me. And as soon as your brain realizes, so we don't have to keep running, we don't have to keep staying afraid, there's not actively something trying to eat us, it automatically turns down the intensity of that startle response and gives your rest and digest system a chance to functionally show up. And yeah. as soon as it shows up, it shows up quick. Like people are like, how could you get rid of indigestion and, and heartburn that fast? Do you know how long it takes for your eyes to water? Get emotional and see how long it takes for you to cry. Right? Yeah. Get hungry and start salivating and see how long it takes for saliva to show up if you're real hungry. Okay. So if you start to kickstart your digestive system, it doesn't take that long to start to produce the things in your stomach and in your throat that can change your heartburn in a moment, right? It's that quick. So the the distilled phrase of that is your your brain can't tell the difference between a bear and a deadline. So if you're running late for a flight or we're having trouble with this podcast, trying to get it to load like we had on a previous encounter. Yeah. And we go, it's not going to eat me. It's not a bear. 
it's just uncomfortable. The sooner you can realize the difference between a deadline when you've got something that's due or something that feels like it's intimidating, but it's not going to eat you, the faster you realize it's not an active threat, the faster your entire system goes. So it's okay for us to allocate some resources towards appetite and digestion. Yeah, that'd be great because I can't survive like this long term. I'm going to break down. And that's nocebo and placebo. Placebo is feeling safe. Nocebo is feeling unsafe. It's that simple. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the stresses of society and what it does to us 101. And, and, and the kicker with all of that is, is with that, I kind of tell patients, the job of the brain isn't to really make you feel crummy until something, until enough damage is done, if you will, yeah. until there's enough going on, right? So yeah. this is stuff that's been going on for years, weeks, yeah. months, yeah. decades. And, and millennia. I mean, this is built in, it's baked into the fabric of how we, we function as human beings, you know? Yeah. If, if you hear a car backfire and you're a veteran who is in constant, you know, combat, you want to know real quick if that's gunfire, that you've got some strategies on how to handle it, right? Yep. Or if you were rear-ended by somebody and you hear the squeal of a tire, you want to respond really, really quick. We see this stuff in immune responses all the time, but we don't think it happens mentally and emotionally, right? If I can track chickenpox as a kid and I get around any kind of herpes strain as an adult, my body goes, got it. I know how to run a protocol for that. Even if it's 40 years later, it's got a protocol for how to respond to keep you safe. Mentally yeah. and emotionally, we have the same thing. We have immune functions that go, the last time I felt that level of concern, how did we handle it? The last time I felt that level of emotion, how did we handle it? And it's running protocols. So it's one of those things as a person, as a provider, as a human being, starting the conversation with the legitimate, viable, legitimate understanding that, hey, whatever my body is doing is first and foremost trying to help keep me alive and help me to survive, but it is also quintessentially supportive. My body is trying to support me. So the question isn't whether or not it's understandable. The question isn't whether or not it's appropriate. The question is whether or not it's sustainable, right? That's one mm -hmm. of the things I help my patients with all the time. It's understandable based on your history that your body's showing up this way. You've gone through a lot. It's appropriate based on where you're currently at in this present moment to feel the way that you do in real time. The question is whether or not it's sustainable. So if you've been running from a bear for the past 30 years, but nobody showed you how to stop, turn around, double check that there's nothing that's going to eat you, called your mom, your dad, your pastor, or your, fr or your friend, or the bad experience that happened. I got run over by a car on a bicycle when I was eight. My brain has responded differently since then, right? Had two mm -hmm. concussions in high school and was hit by a drunk driver at 17 and 20. My head and my neck and my brain have been through some things. So if my brain doesn't have an opportunity to go pause, are you in a life-threatening situation or do you just feel uncomfortable? The way you're showing up based on your history is understandable. The way you're showing up in the moment right now is appropriate. Is it sustainable? Check in, double check. Nothing's going to eat you. You're dealing with a lot, but let's navigate it in a sustainable way. Then you can navigate all these things and go, is it understandable, appropriate, and sustainable? And if you can't answer to yes to all three of those questions, something needs to change. Yeah. Well, this uh, this uh, podcast is all about uh, about you and your book. Uh, <laughs> being, I haven't been uh, doing a good job uh, letting people know no, more about okay. the book. I'm allergic to self promotion. Can you tell I keep diverting? Ah, well, <laughs> for for those of you listening um, and you want to get into it, I guess what, what else do you want to say about about the brain based enneagram? Yeah, I appreciate it, um, Doctor Alex. I think one of the biggest things I would say is it's kind of like learning an alphabet. 
right? It's learning a language. We're not going to boil the ocean in one in one hour conversation. Most of the time when I have a podcast, I'm encouraging people if it feels like the way that I talk and the things that I'm offering feel approachable, there's a lot more resources out there, right? So my website, drjerome.com, just D-R-J-E-R-O-M-E.com, has e-courses that are super approachable for first-time learners. It doesn't matter how much you know about the brain. doesn't matter how much you know about the Enneagram. Uh, it doesn't matter how long you've been a doctor or a patient. My perspective is very different. It's just very different. Um, so there's lots of e-courses, resources, uh, podcasts. So if it's something you want to dive into, there's a lot of stuff out there that's free and stuff, that, some stuff that costs a little bit of money, but it's it's all cheaper than one session with me, right? And so I even right. tell people the, the, 21, the 21 video, six and a half hour uh, course on self-care that I have costs less than one clinical hour with me. So there's a lot out there. A lot of good stuff. Um, but the biggest thing I would say about the brain-based Enneagram is it's continually reinforcing this idea that you're not trying to be less broken. You're finding ways to become more whole. And one of the ways to do that is not to keep chasing down the one specific answer that you need, but learning how to ask better questions. Because the reality is, is there's so much stuff going on. We can't always answer the question comprehensively but we can determine okay well how does that lead us to the next better question and the next better question and yep. then we just keep pursuing this 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 journey of of becoming more whole right um but more than anything also want to give credit where credit is due um the book was designed to be an art table coffee book a coffee table book for a reason or an art work a piece of artwork um and that's because the artist amy strickland who does all the work is a good friend of mine um we lost uh, the video there for just a second. Yeah, that's all. Um, so we're good. Can you hear me? Yep. Yep. Cool. Um, so my undergrad is in digital animation and film, and I used to do graphic design and art. So the book is designed to be kind of like a food experience you consume with your eyes first. So just know that if you're going to engage in it, all the courses, all, all the stuff that we do, all the books are designed to be very digestible, um, but they're all beautiful artwork that's been done very intentionally. It's all original. Uh, and I think whether or not you're somebody who thinks through things more or feels through things more or just wants practical application, there's something for everybody in that, whether you're a head, a head type, a heart type, or a gut type, which means that you think first, feel first, or you act first. There are ways for it to show up for each person. Uh, and there's a lot of practical application in it. And there's a lot more coming. We're working on a lot of stuff to try and help unpack this a bit more. Uh, but clinically, personally, from a, from a brain-based Enneagram standpoint, just jump in and, and, and take some deep breaths. Nobody learns how to ride a bike on the first day or speak a new language in the first try. Uh, so just some alphabets and some exposure and some chance to engage. We'll, we'll see if it resonates for you. And if it does and, and it sings to you, uh, dig in, dive in. There's a lot there. Love it. And we'll have the links up, but what, where can you find the book if you want it? Uh, you can either go on Amazon or drjerome.com. Cool. Alrighty, yeah. sir. Anything else you got to say? No, just deep breaths, man. Even like I'm doing it now, I'm moving fast and it's because I'm, I'm, I'm slammed between a lot of very intense patients today. So sometimes the best thing that you can do is remind yourself if I was running from a bear, what would I not be willing to do? And one of the things oftentimes that you wouldn't be able to do is just to pause. Take a deep breath and go, there are no bears. Yeah. There are no bears. Yes. So that's the biggest thing. Just take a moment to catch a deep breath. Uh, catch a deep breath. It's profound. 
how much your body can change your life in three deep breaths. So start with the basics. Love Don't it. Don't forget to breathe. So I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Thank you to Nick, uh, your producer, who's doing such an incredible job of uh, all, all the things behind the scenes. Sometimes we don't see all the people who support us. Um, yep. But I appreciate the opportunity uh, to be with you guys and, and to give this a second shot. Because the first try, we, we had some technical difficulties. And if at first you don't succeed, right? That's right. So I appreciate right. the opportunity. Oh. Yeah. And thanks to Dr. Skyler, my clinical associate, Skyler Raven, Kirk Wilmarth from Ohio. So... <laughs> Appreciate you guys. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Much appreciated for coming on. You're welcome. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Cheers. Bye. All right, everyone. The Dr. Alex Show is brought to you by Apex Energetics. Apexenergetics.com. First of all, to learn more about Apex Energetics, head on over to that website. If you want to get Apex Energetics directly, uh, please call them 1-800-736-4381 or you can shop our online store. You can get to our online store at myhcpstore.com. Username is Dr. Alex. Otherwise, if you'd like to find a doctor that uses Apex Energetics, you can give them a call or go to the website and they'll direct you to a doc in your area that should be doing very good work with Apex Energetics. Apex has just been instrumental in our lives professionally and personally. About six years ago, we went through one of the most hellacious traumas that you can think of. And if it weren't for Apex with their stress support line of products, I probably would not be here. Point blank period. And in the office, you, making the switch from other lines to Apex Energetics has sped up our results with our patients, supporting them through their healthcare needs, um, probably by 25%. Um, if not, if not more. And when it comes to Apex Energetics, we just want to remind everyone that we are here to not cure diseases, making claims. We're here supporting people, increasing their healthcare needs and helping them achieve their goals. Apexenergetics.com. The Dr. Alex Show is hosted by myself, a nerd, Dr. Alex Nelson. I'm a chiropractor board certified in functional neurology and childhood neurodevelopmental disorders. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or most any of your other favorite podcast apps. The Dr. Alex Show is a production of Fredcasts. Think, speak, act.